In episode six, Hamish Ridland and Trav Brooks introduced us to the Burt Batch Cup and the fierce rivalry between the Camberwell and Waverley hockey clubs. This week, we have another two Camberwell and Waverley superstars. This pair, though, also happened to be the head and assistant coach of the Kookaburras. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. Wanzi is back with Colin Batch and Potsy in a super candid insight into how the team run the program and prepare for games. Find out how the guys started their careers and moved into coaching and how they're managing the delayed Olympic preparation. This has got to be essential listening for all coaches and players. Thanks very much, guys, for your time. I really look forward to catching up for a beverage or two when the games return. Here's Wanzi. All right, uh, fantastic to have on our um, latest podcast with the Campbell Hockey Club uh, two uh, current coaches of the Australian team in Colin Batch and Anthony Potter, who are the two men in charge of getting the Aussie team at the moment, um, I guess, reset for uh, for the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, all fingers crossed everything from here starts to uh, improve, but it's fantastic to have um, you know, a team that's been at the top of the tree for a number of years and currently... Um, goes into the uh, the Tokyo Olympics as one of the gold medal fancies. So, Colin, uh, welcome, and Anthony, welcome. And it must be a crazy, disruptive, unusual time in the last couple of months. Do you want to just fill us in on what actually is going on over in Perth, where the some of the Aussie squad are currently uh, residing? Yeah, good day, Wanty. Um, Potsy, really pleased to be with you tonight. Uh, it has been a strange time, there's no doubt about that. Um, we finished our training in Perth on the 23rd of March and the players disappeared pretty quickly. We, we've got about half our squad in Perth at the moment, but a number of the players chose to, to go home, um, which is completely understandable. Um, and while the restrictions are easing at the moment, we're hopefully getting many back, but maybe some won't return to Perth until later in the year. So a lot of uh, joined their local um, training centre coaches, the NTC programs. Uh, they'll do their training there for a couple of um, a couple of months, and then hopefully rejoin the squad uh, September, October, or thereabouts. Um, the players at the moment have been focusing on their strength and conditioning, and uh, it's been plenty of conditioning during the, this period. And they're all um, very keen to get back into hockey, which will start next week. So, Potsy, uh, a bigger welcome to you as, a, as an ex-Camberwell player. I can't believe we're letting Betchy on just because he's the Australian coach to a Camberwell broadcast, but we've managed to break some rules. And we had Travis Brooks on a couple of weeks ago, which was surprisingly pleasant. And, um, yeah, he's dominating. He dominated. He did. He was actually reasonably well-behaved too for a, a blue bagger. But, um, Potsy, so just interesting question I was going to ask you first up was um, the logistics and, and timelines. You know, half of this... The preparation that goes into a four-year Olympic campaign is, um, you know, it's pretty thorough, meticulous, and challenging. And to have a campaign middle of March sort of stopped in your tracks, what's, um, how have you seen? Are you working to now a, a loose timeline, or you, do you have to put a firm one in and just assume that Tokyo, whilst we shouldn't keep talking about Tokyo, it is certainly the, you know, the the finishing bell uh, to set a program. How, how do you reset? Just to go on from what Cole said once, after the 23rd, the, the main priority for us as staff and as, as a high-performance unit was the safety and the, the well-being of the players. So we, we gave them a, a four-week holiday away from hockey um, and we were contactable every day. 
uh, if players needed. Um, I think with Col Iron Rob and high performance management, um, as COVID sort of stepped up the gears over the weeks, plans changed daily. Some changed during meetings and rough drafts just stayed as the norm, so to speak, for, for the eight weeks that were in lockdown. We've sort of come to more more sensible planning now in the sense where we can start to train, as, as Cole touched on. We're looking to uh, run some camps because of the um, cancellation of all Hockey One programs and state championships throughout the country. So we're, again, hopeful later in the year we can see all our athletes, not only the national squad athletes, but development and futures in their own programs in camps throughout the year. Yeah, so it just sounds like it's a, you've got to be flexible and fluid and uh, and as more information comes through, you can keep keep planning. So um, yeah, I guess it's just a great insight for people that we see the Aussie team on TV at tournaments, but there's a lot that goes in from a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, I'll come back to the, 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 the actual detail around player programs and, and what you coach them later in the chat, but let's just quickly duck back to more introduction around both of you two to, to hockey. Um, obviously, Cole, yeah, a little bit older than, than, than myself, but uh, had a, an amazing career as an Aussie player, um, Victorian player and a Waverley player in all, all levels, you know, had a massive impact um, uh, across, across the board in your playing career, many many games for Australia, um, World Cups, Olympic Games, and and I noted in, in looking through your CV there were a few Waverley Premierships, National Championships, and um, uh, lots of goals scored. What when you look back at your playing career, and you know obviously you've been so entrenched in coaching for a number of years, you probably don't do it that often now. And um, lucky enough that I can remember um, exactly you know lots about your career. What what do you look back on? Uh, sort of your favourite memories or fond memories um, of your playing career in those different those different teams you played in. Yeah, I guess you always think back to your first game, wherever that was. Um, for Waverley, it was uh, we went to Waverley in 1973 and got promoted to um, A grade as it then was in 74. And I can <laughs> Waverley was playing towards. Um, the finals in their first year and they actually got into the finals. So it was a pretty good effort coming from the second division and, and making the top four in the in the first year of the club. And uh, I, I did play towards the end of that season. I didn't start the season, but towards the end of the, the season, I, I played a couple of games and played in the uh, the first semi-final, which we lost the powerhouse. So I do remember that quite vividly. Um, and in fact, um, scoring a couple of goals in my first game for a, in A-grade. So that was a big thrill. But, you know, apart from the first games you played for Victoria or Australia or your own club, yeah, you do remember the premierships um, or the championship wins. Um, I was lucky enough to play in the World Cup, the first World Cup winning team for Australia, which was London in 86. So that was a huge um you know, a very exciting tournament. Um, it was the best run tournament of that time. Uh, it has been surpassed since then, but it was an unbelievable tournament run by the English, uh, very enjoyable. And, of course, the Australian team was very successful. Uh, we struggled through the final in, in many respects, but we were very dominant right through the tournament and uh, got over the line against uh, England 2-1. So your real answer, Wansi, is that, you know, you play to win 
the championship. You play to win the grand final. Uh, they're the best memories. Although on the other side of it, it's so disappointing if you get that far and you you lose. So. Uh, it's no fun. Yeah, look, I, I guess I was lucky as you talk about some of those moments. It makes me start to think I was pretty lucky. I had a pretty good seat as a youngster, um, you know, seeing lots of the things you did, knowing you had your brothers in that Waverley team and coming through the Victorian teams. And we all talk about old eras, but, you know, state league hockey in Victoria in those days was pretty fantastic to watch some of those finals at Manningham on the grass, which people wouldn't really now be able to sort of identify with. Um, to think that you used to train with Jimmy Irvine a lot down at Mike Craig's tennis court, preparing for Australian teams and watching some of the things you did as young kids and learning from that. Yeah, they're really powerful memories. Um, And then you think about some of the Australian stuff with the influence you had on a lot of people when you were captain of Victoria and um, the impact on a lot of generations. But I also, you know, terribly forgot to mention that World Cup win in 86, which was such a massive deal because you'd been through, I guess, the heartache of, um, of the 84 um, you know, Los Angeles Olympics was an Australian play where you had this an amazing, incredible Australian team, as good as any, really. I mean, comparing eras is hard, and the team that won the gold medal in Athens um, that you were involved with will always be remembered as the team that won the gold medal. But I know as a kid growing up watching that 86 um, you know, World Cup team was full of um, just world champions, and it'd be hard to imagine a, a better Aussie team. Um, so that must have been extremely sweet to, to win that in London. After 84, 84, I remember watching you on television and uh, that was pretty painful. A lot of people listening wouldn't be able to remember, but uh, you, you dominated that tournament and uh, and then had a pretty tragic loss against the Pakistanis and then um, and then lost the bronze medal game. How do you, have you ever managed to get, get over that, Cole? <laughs> I get reminded of it every, every now and then, but oh, look, I, I, you, you do move on. Even when you win, you, you move on and, and you start thinking about what's the next opportunity to win and you start planning for the next event. But look, they are, as I said before, so thrilling to win and so disappointing when you lose. The 86 win, I think, was, you know, the, the catalyst was losing in Los Angeles in 84. There's no doubt about that. That there was really a driven group. It was slightly different, of course, but the, there was a lot of um, drivers in the team to make sure that we uh, finally broke through on a, you know, one of the majors that being the Olympic Games or the World Cup. So that was a big thrill, no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I was very pleased to be a part of it. So, Potsy, your playing story is, is a, not completely different, but quite a different tale to Coles in that you're a, a young punk that came down to Camberwell that could hit a goal. And you've become really, if you, you think about it, you've travelled the world with your hockey from those days of walking around Matlock Park. It must be funny for you to sort of reflect on the different places you've travelled, you've played at, the people you've met. Oh, absolutely, mate. And yeah, it probably it says what hockey does for us, the, you know, the sport that we all grew up to love. You know, it's no secret. We we as a family moved around uh, Australia as a young child, I think. I was trying to remember before. I think I went to six schools in eight years uh, and three different states. So uh, am I fortunate or lucky enough? I'm pretty honoured. I was captain or played under-13s for Queensland for two years, uh, under-15s for Western Australia and 17s, 21s and seniors for Victoria. And on reflection, I was talking to my wife about it tonight. One thing that I love about the game and what I did when I moved to a town was I embraced the the hockey club I chose to play for and straight away I'd make friends and and from that you would relax and and get involved in the the club and the community and moving to Melbourne um, I remember chatting with Clay Folds, next uh, Camberwell guy at a state championships and uh, his dad said you need to play for Camberwell uh, which I did and uh, or I'll punch you (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that was after he punched me. So, so I, yeah, I rocked up uh, to Matlock and uh, on the old uh, Sandfield ground uh, with uh, the great man Don Argus leading the troops back then and had a good reality check straight away on, um, Ryder, you may think you're this, but um, you're going to earn your stripes at this club and um, yeah, don't talk and uh, run hard, which was great. And and when I look back now, I still I was chatting with, uh, I think, Jay Stacey a few weeks ago I think it was my third year at the club and Don said at a practice match, have you got anything to say? And I nearly fell over because I was never allowed to say a word. But that was the learning uh, for me to, to get involved and do the team things. A lot of really fond memories and really, really good learnings from uh, those days, mate. Yeah, so Potts, uh, having been you know, travelling to different towns and different clubs and meeting people, you know, the point you made about the community part and the importance of clubs is really interesting because, uh, you know, the longer you're in the game, um, you keep wondering about the relevance of, of sport and you have children and they come down and play and you get reminded of your own journey. So I think, yeah, that was interesting. And then you ended up, um, I think both of you had, had stints at, as you're progressing hockey at North Queensland. Cole, did you, you only coached in North Queensland, you didn't play with the Barrows? No, no, I did play with the Barrows. The first year I went up as the Townsville coaching director but I also played with the Barrows in the second year I was I was coaching and I played a little bit as well so yeah that, that were an incredible experience uh, for everyone you know, it was very different to Victorian hockey but a you know, great experience to be part of that um, to watch the way sport is uh, played up there and what it means to the people. They did an amazing job North Queensland didn't they Potts with the whole embracing the, the hockey I mean Queensland in itself is a it's quite remarkable how it manages to uh, be such a big state and somehow the country hockey um, works. But you, you were first-hand up there. How did you find your, your North Queensland experience um, when you got on the hockey field and got out of the pub? Uh, um, I, I loved it. Um, and, and, you know, one of the – I really enjoyed playing for Victoria, but I, I saw it as an opportunity to give back to, to North Queensland. Um, born in Cairns, lived in Townsville. I, I just thought it was a franchise – 20 years ahead of its time with the way they promoted the game got got the whole not the community the whole of north queensland was involved in some way uh international players good good players from around australia giving back to the community and, and growing the game um you know it's still talked about once a week with the guys at training about the the old barra's days and can we can we play in cans can we play in towns for uh, purely because of the crowd support yeah, that's a really good point because we always look at Holland and think, gee, they're the only ones that seem to be able to do it. Well, Perth, obviously, yeah, for many years has been great for crowds and, and, and atmosphere, but but North Queensland were um, done a great job through that period. They really did take risks and, and had a real crack and, and it was a great place to play. Tassie, I think you have to say, have also done a great job over the years with internationals and what have you, but it's, it's, it's hard work. It's only getting harder probably. The Camwell, be terrible. We didn't mention the Camwell Waverley rivalry. Having listened to Travis Brooks <laughs> last week, Cole, but yeah, that was an incredible era when you think through it, and, and it was sort of generational. There were there were series of players and waves of players that came through, and it was um, it was quite special. Yeah, you know, ended up a lot of those guys played because they were strong teams in state teams together and forged some really good friendships. But gee, the the local um, rivalry was pretty strong, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it certainly was. They were the the best two teams uh, in the competition during the eighties, um, and it's not a joke, but um, it's it's well documented that we used to win in the odd years, and you guys won in the even years. So it just worked out that way. But they're two very strong sides. It was like playing at uh, you know an international match. That's how strong the the two teams were. Were filled with uh, a number of international players, but also. Uh, state players. Um, it was fierce rivalry. There's no doubt about that. We were friends through being uh, involved in rep sides, and it had that real feel about um, you know we played at Camwell or we played at Waverley, um, and it had that suburban feel about it that people were so close to you that um, you really felt the presence of um, the spectators. So, you know, you mentioned before about playing at the old Manningham ground and that was a really special atmosphere because they used to have parked the, the cars around the ground and that added to, you know, the excitement of the game. You know, when someone scored, there was a lot of noise. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fantastic playing on synthetic surfaces and at the State Hockey Centre and, and those sorts of venues. But you do miss that closeness that the uh, regional grounds provide. Well, the other theory was, apart from the, the Waverley winning the odd years and Camwell the even, the other, the other theory we had was that whenever Don Argus was uh, present, we'd lose a, lose a final and when he was off <laughs> on business trips, we'd win. So we used to check, uh, ring up his secretary about a month out from the finals and see what his uh, work diary looked like to work out whether we had any chance in the finals. But uh, uh, we never told him that, I don't think. Um, so look, and then from your playing careers, both of you, you had different paths into coaching, but again, you ended up in similar places. And of course, now you, you share offices and hockey grounds in Perth with, uh, you know, one of the great hockey jobs in the world, coaching the, the Aussie team. How, how did your coaching path take shape, Potsy, um, from your playing career? How, how did that play out? Uh, apart from um, and, and doing what we do in Australia, you know, coaching at, at your clubs or whatever club you're at, you're always helping out a youth team and, and providing uh, where possible. Um, 2002, I moved to Holland, uh, my then partner and our wife, Mariah, uh, it was quite difficult to get a visa for Australia, so I just thought, okay, well, let's go live in Holland. Um, and it was pretty easy to get a visa, and I rang up, and I was in. And um, the club uh, next to Jay's club, uh, Aronia Zwart back then, uh, there was another club, EMHC, and once the, the fields, as you probably know, they butted onto each other. So when one party would finish at one club, you'd walk to the other. That's how close these clubs were together. Um, but they had... Um, sacked their coach at the winter stop and needed a trainer coach for the second half of the year. And the team was, I think, 11th in the second Dutch competition, which is Overgang's class back then. Beginner's luck, we went from 11th to 3rd. Um, so you you become a hero without really knowing what you're doing. I, I know what I did. I, I made them believe in, in 12 weeks that they, they were better than 11th. The following year, uh, head coach and left winger, so I was player coach, which is unheard of uh, in Holland, uh, and we were promoted to the National League. So um, I was really busy over the summer getting coaching courses and upskilling myself and uh, just trying to get involved in any coaching, not only hockey, but uh, Eindhoven, where I lived, it was PSV, uh, and through contacts, just um, uh, gathering knowledge from people, ball sports, um, on, on how they, they perceive games to be played. Uh, and from there, uh, just moved around and did contracts at clubs, um, 
worked with the Belgium Hockey Bond for uh, three or four years with their uh, junior program, which was excellent, and then um, had a meeting with Hockey Australia and um, ended up back in Perth. So a lot of diversity, men and women coaching, um, a lot of questions along the way, plenty of hiccups, uh, and also some really, really good times. And the, the Dutch and Belgium approach to things, you obviously must have picked up lots along the way that, you know, what, what have you found? You know, obviously you would have come over as an Australian and a completely different way of, of, of living, but also going about the hockey. What, what's the things that sort of stand out for you about, you know, their hockey and uh, apart from the, the systems and the way the clubs are set up, what about the way they actually play the game? What, what's the mindset and the, and the structures that you saw? Uh, the, the mindset is very different and, that, and that's from the start of the game. Uh, when the umpire blows the whistle, it's nil all. So in Australia, it's no one has any points. And in Holland, you start the game with one point. When you go one goal up, you, you have the three points. So then you, you go straight into a defensive mindset. Um, and that, that's not a negative, that they can defend for long periods and be pretty calm and, and relaxed in what they're doing. Um, so that, that took me a while to get used to that mindset with the players. I was always really impressed on how clubs and regions implemented basics for the for the athletes for boys and girls to grow their to grow their talent it's a race and maybe it's a european thing that they loved loved training basics loved getting better at their skills uh, and if you look at our culture we as a kid we, we just want to play games uh, play games play games and i think what i do and that helps cole coming back is it can implement the, the value of upskilling our our boys uh, and then putting that into match play, not not a game, to practice what we're learning. And I think as a group, we've made really, really good progress of, of these skills in the last few years. And Cole, your coaching journey, how would you sum up where you've been and how it happened? I think some people think that, you know, you just go from one club to the other and the next one's a little bit better um, and it's well planned. Coaching's not like that at all. You upskill yourself as and do as much coaching as you can. And if you want to become a coach, you be you best starting to coach with uh, juniors or small groups, uh, as Potsy was saying. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's male or female, and just get out there and coaching. And there's there's plenty of time to do your coaching courses and things like that. They complement each other. Um, for me, it was. I was the assistant coach for the Kookaburras for eight years, a really good period. At the end of that, there wasn't an opportunity to, to continue. Uh, Rick Charlesworth took over and he had some other plans about um, who he wanted as assistant coaches. So I took an opportunity to coach in Belgium. Um, and again, it was a great experience, uh, both at club level and also at the senior um, men's level. So that was a fantastic experience, um, something that I never thought that I would get an opportunity. When I was growing up in Melbourne, it was um, it was all about Victoria, perhaps playing for Australia. If you were thinking of moving, you might go to Perth for, to play some club hockey. But um, the modern game is all up until this year, you've always had an opportunity to um, play overseas, coach overseas. I think that's how far the, the game has gone. So I think anyone that's uh, looking to coach, really, they can coach anywhere in, in the world um, once we get out of the COVID situation. So there's no real plan to it, but you have to be ready to go to the next levels. And I think... Um, you get a lot of experience through coaching first and talking to other coaches, talking to players and finding out where they want to head 
uh, and assisting them to get as as good and to improve and develop as uh, as much as they can. So clearly, in Belgium, um, to pick a place, there's been a pretty big Aussie influence with the likes of yourself and Potts and Jay Stacey, Adam Commons, and now Kiwi in charge. Can you can you tell us a bit more about how that country has uh, sitting next door to Holland has become, you know, as uh, a, a gold medal contender in most major tournaments uh, can you you'd have a pretty good insight into what's gone on there well i think uh, firstly and potty um spent longer there uh, in europe than what i did but my four years there um look they they have a very good development program uh, through their juniors so they would start programs uh, with their kids they call them the eight corners um and i've forgotten what age they are but you know, they'd be certainly under 10. I mean, they're training three times a week uh, for at least an hour, an hour and a half. Um, so they're getting a lot of time on the pitch. They're probably doing that for nine months of the year. And so they they have time to spend developing their skills. So you see a lot of good technical players come out of Belgium. I think during my time there, what I was able to give them was uh, my experience of international hockey, uh, what it took to to play at the highest level, how to overcome some adversity. And uh, they were very talented. They had some um, good technical skills, good tactical idea, but it was really the drive to um, to beat, uh, to play against and to beat the best players in the world. And I think, um, you know, I was fortunate to, to be there during a period where a lot of young, good players were coming through and ready for that next start. And Potts, you would have seen firsthand. I, I imagine the Belgium Dutch games are pretty, pretty intense. The German Dutch games are always uh, big games. Is that now the Belgium Holland game? Yeah, one of the big ones in those sorts of tournaments. Yeah, that's the derby now, mate. Um, yeah, it's uh, many, many years ago. The German Dutch games were huge, but uh, the drive uh, south across the border uh, or, or to Belgium now is game on. Um, uh, and it's actually good to see now because they there's there's plenty of emotion about what they're doing, and um, uh, I think they're pretty good friends uh, off the field. But uh, game time, it is all on. It's uh, good to see. Yeah, we like that. Um, now let's get into some specifics around the actual coaching. Um, so talk a bit about the Aussie program. So you two have got the you know, responsibility to prepare the Aussie team to, to compete and um, just give an insight for the listeners um, what that involves. So you obviously set it in four-year cycles and break it into smaller time frames, annual and even smaller as you have tournaments. Let, let's, let's use now whilst it's not perfect given the uncertain timelines. Um, how do you plan a um, you know, an Australian squad. How do you how do you look at things? I think you know, right at the moment, it's a really strange time. Um, we've never known a time like this. Um, usually, you know, you're going to play an international game in six months. Uh, sorry, six weeks time, or you're building up towards a tournament, um, and that is the difficult stage we've got at the moment. It was a clear picture of playing the Olympics. In July, so we had our whole program set towards that, and I was really interested to see how our group was going to perform uh, in Tokyo. Uh, we won't have that opportunity this year, but we're still training for the Olympics because, um, as we all know, it's been set back twelve months. But 
The funny part at the moment is we don't know when our next international match is and given the situation um, that we're faced around Australia but also more importantly around the world, I'm not sure that we're going to play another international match this year. So it creates an incredibly strange situation for our group, the coaching staff, uh, the players, wondering when our next game is. So we, we do have uh, a training in place, but it is, a bit, it is a step back in time a little bit, Wanzi, and I'll explain it this way, that suddenly club hockey is the most important thing the players can um, train for at the moment. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of good competition around Australia, and I think one of the things that they do miss is the national players playing enough time in the, in uh, the club games because, you know, we're forever on the road and it is a very busy, normally a very busy inter- international series. So suddenly we, we take that away. So what have we got? And that is they're all training now for club hockey. They've had a break. They've hardly played hockey over the last six or seven weeks and they're dying to get out there and train and play and play uh, in a competition. And I think the benefit will be all the local matches that we see uh, from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. I think you it makes you sort of personally reflect back on how important having those players around for a variety of reasons. And, you know, local clubs would would thrive on, even if it wasn't their own player, if it was somebody next door, another neighbouring suburb, they go and watch a Lockie Dreyer in the goals, what have you. Potts, um, in a normal world, um, not a, a COVID world, you're preparing your team. So let's go back to, say, January of this year, coming into, into Tokyo. How did you sort of the month and the week look? Um, how many sort of sessions a week? What were the sessions made up of with the Aussie squad, gym and recovery and what have you? Give us a bit of an insight into what a typical sort of month of training for the Aussie team, say, back in January, February looked like? Yeah, so we started, I think, the the first week in January and the Pro League was starting at the end of January. So the focus, and and for the guys, um, maintain their fitness program over the Christmas break. Um, And we used the first sort of week, which was, uh, I think we started with four trainings, four field trainings in the first week to get their hand-eye coordination back. Uh, And then we were just building and getting prepared for uh, Belgium in Sydney. Uh, We had Belgium and Great Britain um, within consecutive weeks in Sydney. So we had just a good process to get the guys um, match fit, connected. Uh, We wanted them connected to to play good options with and without the ball together while keeping it simple. And then we went to Sydney and tested ourselves against uh, Belgium and GB. We continued to train uh, while in Sydney, as, as we do in between pro leagues. Uh, but a normal week consisted of five trainings a week, I think, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and normally Saturday mornings. Uh, and that was set plays, corners, uh, some individual work for the guys. Uh, and the guys are also busy with two to three strength and conditioning sessions per week with Brendan Appleby. So we were a bit underdone, or not underdone, I shouldn't use that word. We were not ready to play consistent international hockey in the first week of the Pro League, and, and that showed. It was a good game, the first one. The second game, I think they ran over us, it would be fair to say. We did some really, I thought, really good reviewing and some culture work in between the two games, and... Um, I always say to the guys, you know, make sure our noses are all in the right direction. And there was a real good um, 
mental professional shift with the group about getting better and getting your connections better, getting your game plans better. And that showed from the GB and then going into the Argentinian games. We were, uh, we were pretty good that, that couple of weeks. Training quality was great, but also the, the match quality um, and, and the guys love playing and you know, getting a good result uh, at home was awesome. And Cole, in a, in a particular session, I know each week might differ and it might depend on what uh, is going on with the team, but do you have sort of a, a formula in your training sessions that you might spend the first period of time on skills or game plays? What, do you have a, could you refer to a sort of a session, what it might be broken up into generally? We would spend about 20 minutes warming up and, and normally we, we train uh, first thing in the morning Um during the early months this year, we trained a little bit later. It was mid-morning, but it's about 20 minutes warm-up, and then after that we would spend 90 minutes um, purely doing hockey skills. We usually break the, the group up into two or three groups, and they'll do a series of technical skills which uh, both assistant coaches run. So Potsy will do one technical skill at one end with uh, eight or nine guys, um, and just add to that over six or seven minutes. Rob Hammond, our other assistant coach, will do a, a slightly different skill at the other end, and then we'll do some agility in a third group if the group's big enough. So, and then we rotate. So it's about six or seven minutes in each one. Then we'll go into two or three exercises. Depends on the focus. Sometimes it might be just tackling. Sometimes it might be goal shooting. There'll be some match play in there, or there'll be some tactical. Um, development that we that we'll also do depending on who we're playing we'll if we've got the right numbers we'll play uh, against a team that is playing how we predict the opposition may play um in the lead up to the next match so just on that theme cole um tactically some specifics here and you don't want to give too much away because this podcast will go viral around the world and there'll be all sorts of spies listening i'm sure but let's let's uh, keep it broad but uh, pressing what would be the, the tactical things these days that you would focus on is it still around what you're doing what the other team has the ball is it how you bring the ball out of defense from a tactical point of view I'd be fascinated to hear what you think are the, the sort of things that everybody looks at at the moment i mean there might be different things between teams but broadly what are the themes that people place emphasis on and then I'm going to ask Potts after that question more at an individual level what are the sort of the latest things that are most important is it receiving is it um, you know elimination skills tackling I might just get you to touch on that but Cole from a tactical point of view um, do you want to just comment on what you think of the, the big things right now? Yeah, look, it's uh, what you said there once I don't think the game's changed all that much you know you, you start with the ball at the back and you build the ball forward and sometimes you've got three outletting at the back. Sometimes you, you might have four and you change up that a little bit. Um, a lot of a lot of teams like to play short. Some will go um, use a, an aerial um, to, to, you know, really good advantage. Other teams will play to the outside and then try and um, utilise the space on the other side of the ground on the help side. Um, there's a whole variety way of doing it that's with the ball, the way you build up. You've always – you've got to be aware that other teams will tactically change. I think um, the smart teams, when they're playing uh, quarters these days, are, are liable to change their tactics, uh, not just within a quarter but quarter to quarter. So you've got to be on the lookout for that. And, of course, trying to win the ball back and the opposition have got the ball 
Some teams are still playing marking, but not many. Um, a lot of teams around the world are playing a, a zonal half court type arrangement, and you know that that varies from team to team. So there, are some ways that you've got to break down. Um, the key to it is still the way the ball's delivered, the way you receive. Do have you got penetration? to move the ball from one end to the other really quickly. If you can do that, then there's not going to be too many defenders in the circle when you get there. If it's a slow build-up, you can expect there's going to be 11 players behind the ball and 11 players in the back 30, um, and it's pretty hard to generate any opportunity in those situations. Yeah, we might talk about rule changes to the game another chat, but uh, it's one of my pet things about just numbers on the pitch, and it's um, it seems to me there's too many on the pitch, but I'm getting old and cranky. Um, yeah, that, that's fascinating. Uh, Pots on the individual side, any um, particular things at the moment that, that you're sort of thinking the players are really focusing on and you're helping them with, you know, for the club coach out there or the young player listening? Uh, look, once again, it, it hasn't. Yeah, the, the main thing that's changed in the game over the years is the speed of the game just gr- continually grows week by week, year by year. So around that, skill sets uh, have been honed and trained more. But still, passing and receiving is the, the a main focus for the Kookaburras. The variety in passing, or I'll start with the receive, uh, and as Cole touched on before, receiving to adapt to the way opposition teams play it is a huge training focus and match focus for us, and we continually review this because we want to we want to get forward and penetrate at oppositions. So there's no there's no point in us coming back to the ball when we can receive open, uh, have a, a pre-scan connection, and play an easy two on one. So it's it's knowing the opposition, knowing your receive skills, and then again just having a really good pass quality and you know something that that we, that all the staff are really, uh, I wouldn't say aggressive, but push the guys. We, we actually get them, want them to push the ball more. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, I remember watching yourself, the, your, your ability to push the ball, just regain and push to a simple option or give it to Jay or, or Rosie. And, and that's what we're trying and, and push the guys to, to do in training and games week in, week out. Probably one more thing that's really important is identifying space. Uh, where we used to, you know, um, try and eliminate a, a, your, your opposition man to create the two-on-one. I, I think finding free space is a big thing in the game now that you, you're avoiding those one-on-one contests. The uh, standard, I think, is just yeah, unbelievable. You talked about the pace of the game. Uh, it certainly has got quicker, like I guess other sports have too. But uh, watching last year the Pro League, and we're all lucky enough to see plenty of it on TV, the the pace is just incredible. But just as incredible for me is just the the, the skill level, the lack of errors uh, under pressure, the speed of ball movement. Um, it's just gone to, to other levels. I'm fascinated how it have actually managed to do it. That's probably another conversation as well. But I guess playing at intensity and um, uh, I guess other Countries are also have matched Australia's uh, historical capacity to play at those levels, and uh, that's probably brought the whole standard up because now the the Europeans are playing a lot quicker than they ever ever have. So it's um look, I, I, I sort of got to finish on a note just to say I think sometimes as coaches and even supporters of the team we under underplay how exceptional 
Um, this Australian team, both men and women, have been for a number of years. It continues on. Um, it's incredible when you think about how well they play, the standards they play, um, the standards they have off the field. Um, you know, for a sport that has still limited means compared to a lot of other professional sports, it's um, we we still sometimes don't appreciate uh, how incredible the um, the Australian hockey team is, and whole, uh, both men and women. You guys, do you have a have a sort of a feel for that? Do you ever look around and uh, and feel pretty good about what um, at what this the squad looks like at the moment? It's still a work in progress, there's no doubt about that. We've got a number of younger players still coming through. Some have been in the team for two or three years, but um, we we still believe that uh, we're a, a team capable of improving quite a bit. Um, once we get back out there, um, we were looking to improve in the final two months building up to Tokyo. Um, we've got a, a little bit longer now to develop that. Um, so I, th- I still think it's a, a group that can improve quite a bit um, and we can see some outstanding results in the next three, four, five years. And I say that knowing that there are some very good hockey teams around the world at the moment. There's not too many secrets out there. Um, there's some wonderful players in all countries and uh, the competition's never been stronger. Yeah, and Potts, your um, must be amazing to have sort of been around the world and then to come back and be involved. I see your excitement when you're on the bench there, you know, coaching an Aussie team and that pro league last year. You must be just loving the the ride. Oh, absolutely, mate. And um, we, you know, we use as a family the word an adventure, and it's been a great adventure thus far. I mean, sometimes I have to hold myself back on the bench. The pro league final last year just. Uh, you know, you just, I, I don't get caught up with the emotion, but just the emotion of seeing the guys just uh, start so well and it was slipping and it, we, we'd t- spoken to the guys at length about, you know, uh, when it's not going well, you know, what are we going to do? And, and they just fought, fought really, really hard to, to hold on to the game uh, and got a really, really deserved victory in the end. Things like that, I just go, yeah, I tear up all the time. I've got to sort of walk away and grab a drink sometimes and say, okay, come on, you know, you, you, you've got to be the assistant here, not uh, not a spectator. So I write that on my board now. Um, I write, uh, don't be a fan on my drawing board so I can focus on my task. Well, I used to have to had the same same problem with Batchy. I used to keep you under control all the time playing with him, and I was always the uh, the calm one you could imagine. But look, yeah. guys, thank you. Um, we, you know, I think everybody, every hockey fan listening and others um, are just sort of uh, in there in the background supporting very hard and admiring um, yeah, this team and uh, the way they go about it, which you guys have a lot to do with. So, you know, what's been a really tough time, hopefully we can look back in a few months as it starts to unfold and hopefully get back on track. Um, you know, this team can regain the momentum and um you know it'll be a it'll be a tough 12 months i'm sure coming up but you know in some ways the aussie you know history and uh, the aussie tradition is that the tougher it gets um you know they won't shirk that so that must give you some confidence everybody wishes you all the best we thank you tonight for your time and um everybody will be watching really closely Thanks, Wanti. Uh, really enjoyed the chat. Both Potsy and I and all our staff at the Kookaburras, we, we love doing what we're doing. Uh, we can't wait to get back out there. And I know the players are really eager to get back out and playing and, and improving and showing what they're capable of. And Potts, thanks um, for you making the time. You realise it is 2020 this year. It's an even year, so you know what that means yeah, in yeah, Melbourne. We'll, we'll get the borders uh, sent down soon. We'll be on a flight over soon. But also, look, uh, to you and, and Campbell Hockey Club once... Uh, a big thank you. It's been a, a really um, uh, such a great club to play with and to still be associated with um, 
the learnings from yourself and uh, Arg, uh, Das, Mintz, um, Stewie Grimshaw, Pointer. Uh, there's some of those lessons of those days uh, I still take into my my life functions now and also try and implement that into some of the cookers at times. Um, most of the time they shake their head and call me an old prick, but um, um, special place in my heart and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, that's a great way to finish, a bit of a scary way to finish, but we'll sign off on that note and thanks thanks uh, again for your time, gents.